0: Hey, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving, if you're Canadian. Happy Sukkot, if that's what you celebrate. Happy Columbus Day slash Indigenous People Day, if you are in America. And a a happy birthday to my mama today. Today is her birthday. So... That being said, um, we are doing the chapter of vision for you. And I'm sorry, I forgot to post it in the group me this morning. But if you all have your big books, we are on page 151. And I was reading this chapter and a main theme that struck me is, you know, often if you've been here before, Melissa and I are just very passionate and very adamant that God is the solution. Right, that you know we can be in a room with a hundred other compulsive eaters, and that won't give us the power we need to stop binging. However, you know God in His love did not mean for us to recover alone on a desert island, and fellowship is so important. And when I was reading this, um, I really saw not that fellowship is the solution. Right, if I'm a diabetic and I go to Diabetics Anonymous. Even though there's a hundred other diabetics, my blood sugar is not going to get any better unless I inject the insulin. So you know we do this not in place of God, but we enjoy this as one of the gifts that God offers us. So let's dive in. Page one fifty one. Um, it says a vision for you, and it says for normal folks, drinking means conviviality, companionship, and colorful imagination. Well, we all know that we're not normal, right? Nothing more needs to be said there. It says it means release from care, boredom, and worry. We are people who crave release from care, boredom, and worry. And binging, especially in the early days, gives us relief from it at first. We need to learn to be okay with care like having cares, the cares of the world, with being bored sometime and worry, like things not always going our way. We need tools to deal with these things so that we don't um, have to eat compulsively or drink or whatever our substance is. And it tells us that for us, once we cross the line and become real compulsive eaters, to me, this, this is so sad. There was an insistent yearning to enjoy life as we once did and a heartbreaking obsession that a miracle of control would enable us to do it. We need to find a way to enjoy life, right? So we we do the work, we you know do our inventories, we look at the wreckage we've caused, we've made amends, and now what? And they tell us, okay, this is where you were. You were a subject of King Alcohol. Look at that image or the subject of Queen Food. We never um, are in charge of ourselves. It's like there's a big hole in our hearts that's where someone rules and it's either God, if we choose God, if not, the illness will come in by default, right? The illness isn't a gentleman like God who will say, I'll wait until you choose me and decide to surrender your life to me. It'll just rush in. So it says, that's what we were, subjects of King Alcohol. Queen food, and the way it talks about a chilling vapor of loneliness that becomes blacker, right? This illness is progressive, and our loneliness progresses. And it tells us about the awful awakening on page 151 to face terror, bewilderment, frustration, and despair. That's the illness. Awa- We're going to have an awakening one way or another. Um, the illness gives us an awakening to terror, frustration, bewilderment, and despair, or we can have a spiritual awakening where we let God in and God rewires our hearts so that we become less selfish, less concerned with our little plans and schemes and more like our loving creator. We're gonna have one kind of awakening. We have to choose which kind we want or are willing to work for. And page 152, they talk about the person who's going to drink or binge again. And they say it's someone who isn't happy about their sobriety. We need to be happy with our sobriety. We need to like replace the binging with something else. It's not like we've just been saved from binging. We have to be saved into or for something else. And now they really talk about the fellowship. If we're only dry, we're gonna end up lonely. I mean, I can lock myself up, right? And stop binging. I actually know someone who did that. She had someone lock her up and said, just give me three meals a day. I mean, we could all stop binging that way. Um, But what kind of life is that? We don't want a life where it's just, you know, we're hanging on with bloody fingertips. We want a life with purpose. And they're saying, okay, Fine, I'm willing to stop binging because I can't. But am I going to have a life where it's going to be stupid, boring, and glum? I know I can't binge anymore, but have you a sufficient substitute? And they say a resounding yes. There's a substitute and more than that. It's a fellowship. And here's what they promise us. This fellowship offers us. Release from care, boredom, and worry. Our imagination will be fired. Life will mean something. The most satisfactory years of your existence lie ahead. So whether you're 20 years old or 80 years old, the best is yet to come if you do this thing. That's what they tell us. The best is yet to come. And then they say, okay, how? How are we gonna find these people? And they say, you are going to meet these new friends in your own community guys local fellowship for a couple of years yes we had to all be on zoom and i'm not saying like none of you should ever come back to recovery jam but i tell my sponsees find at least one local meeting near you in person if you can and go to it um you know i had a i had a problem the other day like a a medical kind of thing and i i needed some local help and, you know, as much as who am I going to look at Beverly and Marilyn loves me and I'm sure would be happy to help me. She's not going to run over my house, but Cynthia, who lives in the next oh, Beverly, you would um, Cynthia, who lives in the, you know, 10 minutes from me, she could come over and give me the help that I needed. So, you know, yes, this fellowship is great and we want it and we want to nurture it but we wanna be involved in a local fellowship as much as possible. And they say, you'll find them because people are dying helplessly like people in a sinking ship. What sinking ship comes to our minds, right? The Titanic, the people can know they're dying, that they're sinking, but they can't rescue themselves. We can get better and help God in his search and rescue missions for other people. And then we are bound to them. Then it's no longer, I'm the rescuer, you're the rescuee. They get through the steps, we're friends. We're friends for life. Um, and page 153, it says, when you escape disaster together and commence shoulder to shoulder your common journey, You'll learn what it means to give of yourself that others may survive and rediscover life. You will learn the full meaning of love thy neighbor as thyself. We learn it. It's not natural. For me, at my core, I'm selfish and self-centered. But by practicing it, by self-sacrifice of my time, of my sleep, of my energy to help others, the love thy neighbor as thyself becomes a little more a part of my DNA. You know, and I'm hoping it gets more and more a part of my DNA so that it just becomes 100% natural. But they talk about giving of yourself, right? this That's the spiritual paradox of it. We have to give it away in order to keep it. And they tell us, how is this gonna happen? And it says, Are typical things. If you wish this above all else and be willing to make use of our experience, want what we have, and willing to go to any lengths to get it, then we can have all this. And then they tell us a story like, okay, you think you're just one person alone in Tampa or somewhere, and what are you going to do? And they say, let me tell you a story about this guy named Bill. It was 1935. He made a trip out West. He thought it would be really good for his business, but it wasn't. He lost out. He was discouraged. He was in a strange hotel room alone, reputation shot, almost broke, physically weak, newly sober. He knew he was in a dangerous situation because he said um, for some reason he couldn't go home right away. And he said, unless he had something to drink, and hung out with all the people in the bar he might have a lonely weekend again what sounds more horrible to an addict loneliness we cannot stand being lonely or bored and he said okay i can't drink but i'm just going to go into the bar sit with a drink in front of me and not drink and just talk to people and then he said he saw it was that old Insidious insanity. So he was protected. Um, back in chapter three, we see the story of Jim, who goes to not even a bar, goes to a diner, a roadside place, and has a sandwich and a glass of milk, and suddenly decides it's a smart idea to put whiskey in the milk. And he ended up in a horrible mess. But here's Bill what's the difference? How come Bill was protected? And Jim wasn't because Bill took action. He thought about the other alcoholics. Remember, he's sitting there. He's saying with a shiver, he turned away from the bar and walked down the lobby to the church directory. Again, we cannot just turn away from food. We have to turn toward something else, a closer relationship with God, and helping others so he turned toward the church directory right because he figured he's going to call someone and help someone so he said okay i'm going to do that i'm going to find a clergyman and he said my sanity returned and i thanked god right always gratitude and he, call, you know, if anyone's heard about this, he called, there were six churches, I believe, listed on the directory. The first five, nothing. Um, so the people who say, well, I'm supposed to make three phone calls a day and I called three people and I got nothing, mm-mm. He called all six, everyone on the list. And the sixth person was Henrietta Cyberling. So let me just tell you a couple things about Henrietta. Um, she was involved in this group called the Oxford group, which was a spiritual group. And this doctor named Bob used to come to the meetings. He came for a couple years, never got anywhere. In fact, he was drinking a lot. Um, and one day he said to Henrietta and the other people there, guys, I think I have a problem with alcohol. I'm a drunk. And, you know, I don't know if they were laughing behind their hands, like, yeah, Bob, tell us something we don't know. but. I don't think so, because what they did is they prayed for him. They just prayed for Bob. So that was two weeks before Bill just happened to be in that town. And so Bill finally got hold of a clergyman and he said, I'm I'm a drunk. I'm in town. If I don't find another drunk to help, I'm in trouble. And the clergyman said, I think this woman, Henrietta, helps people who may have drinking problems call her. So he called Henrietta, my name's Bill, I'm in town, I'm you know, recovered drunk, I need another drunk to help her, I'll be in trouble. And she said, we've been expecting you. I always wanna cry when I hear that because it's like, we've been expecting you. She knew um, something that I wish I knew better, that I remembered more, prayer works, prayer works. They prayed for Bob and she just expected an answer. And there was the answer. Now, I'm sure, I don't know if she thought the answer would come from a drunk who was newly sober from out of town, but there he was. Um, so Phil and Bob met and Dr. Bob said, I agree, I need a spiritual experience, but the price is high. He said, I'll do this, I'll do that. But I won't do, and he had something. For him, it was, I won't tell people um, that I'm an alcoholic because I'm a doctor. What are they going to think of me? So whenever we have, I will do anything for recovery except dot, 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 or dot, dot, dots are what get us into trouble. And that's what happened to Bob. He got sober for a short amount of time And then he went on a big spree, um, right? The obsession returned because he didn't want to make amends. And what happened after that? Bill, thank God, didn't just say, Bob, I'm on the next train, I'm out of here. He helped him. And so Dr. Bob said he decided, or he saw he would have to face his problem squarely that God might give him mastery right? His willingness was backed up by action. Willingness without action is just like fantasy. It's nothing. So he went and he made the rounds and told people, guys, I'm an alcoholic. And it says he came home exhausted, but happy. And he has not had a drink since. So there's Bill and Bob, both recovered, now shoulder to shoulder, walking this path. And they saw that they must keep spiritually active. When I hear that term, I think, okay, that means like getting a new devotional or more prayer or you know more time in meditation or like going to church and all that. But they say spiritually active. And the next line is, one day they called up the head nurse of a local hospital. They explained their need and inquired if she had a first-class alcoholic prospect. So spiritual activity translates into helping others. And they explain their need, not like, I'm so great, I've recovered. I wanna just be like Mother Teresa to all the poor sick people who are still suffering. No, if I don't have people to work with, I'm in trouble. I'm not that nice. You know, I don't help people because it's, fun. well, okay, it is fun and it gets to be fun. But even the days when it's not, I need to do it so that I don't pick up again. So the nurse said, yep, we got someone here. And they said, put him in a private room, we'll be down. And then they went and they spent time with him. And they talked to him about why he was hopeless. They spent an hour, it says, getting an identification with him. till finally he says, I'm beat, there's nothing I can do. Only then did they talk about the spiritual solution. Only after he said he was beat. And what did he say? He said, from what you tell me, I know more than ever, I can't stop. And it says, then they spoke of their spiritual experience and told them about the course of action they carried out. Spiritual experience, right? Faith, surrender to God, submission to God's will as we understand it, and work, self-sacrifice for the good of others. Spiritual principles like honesty, unselfishness. And he says, I used to be strong for the church, but that won't fix it. And here's a line that I think has plagued me and plagued everyone. Um, I've prayed to God on hangover mornings and sworn that I'd never touch another drop, but by nine o'clock I'd be boiled as an owl. I'm assuming boiled as an owl means drunk. I've prayed to God, sworn I'd never do it. And it didn't work. Well, that was me for years and years and years, probably most, if not all of us prayed to God. But if I'm swearing, I'm never going to do it again. That means I think I have power dear God, I promise you, I'm never going to do it again. That means I think I have the power to not do it again. And even if I don't, even if I say, dear God, I know I don't have the power, help. Even that is not enough because it's not a surrender. It's like, dear God, please take care of my food problem, but I'm still going to cheat on my taxes. I'm still going to lie. I'm still going to be selfish. I'm not going to do what I think you want. Um, dear God, remove my food upset. I, I can't snap my fingers or I would, um, like Santa Claus or a genie in the bottle, come down and do what I want, but that's not what works. And we'll see what does. So here's, here's the guy. And he's like, okay, maybe you're right. God ought to be able to do anything. And then he said, he sure didn't do anything for me when I was trying to fight this booze racket by myself alone. So here we have desperation, plus he was getting the right information, plus he was cared for. If the same guys are coming back day after day to spend hours with him, this man felt cared for. Do we do that for our people? give them right information and make them feel cared for. Then on the third day, just after the third day of talking with this people, he gave his life to the care and direction of his creator and said he was perfectly willing to do anything. You see the difference between I prayed, I begged and swore I wouldn't do it versus I give my life to the care and direction of my creator. The care only comes if we follow his directions. The care only comes if we follow his direction. And his wife came and it's like three days. And she said, there's something different already. And the writers of this book says, yeah, she was right. He had begun to have a spiritual experience. And we talk about that all the time, what a spiritual experience is. It's described on page 25. It says where the ideas, the values that are once the guiding principle in our hearts are swept aside and we become dominated by a new set of values and principles. In other words, we start moving from the kingdom of self to the kingdom of God. And God just changes us so that it gets to be like kind of fun to help other people. And yeah, we're willing to like forego some, you know, like little pleasure in order to be of use to someone else. Um, It just first we have to really work on it. And then it just becomes more and more automatic. So and it says, okay, here's this guy, third alcoholic, and he never drank again. And then the three of them go to visit another guy in the hospital. And the same thing, he says, the way you fellows put this spiritual stuff makes sense. Again, prayer that's just begging, it's not the kind of prayer. Now, of course, I'm not saying never do it, right? Because God is good. And sometimes, especially at the beginning, that's all we can do. God help. But ultimately, or by step three, we need to make a surrender and it has to be a total surrender. But the irony is, and they talk about this guy on the next page, it says, um, in finding God, he found himself. When we surrender ourselves to God, it's like we get our real selves back. So they keep helping people. So now there's four of them. And they said, though they knew they must help other alcoholics if they would remain sober, that motive became secondary. It was transcended by the happiness they found in giving themselves for others. It became secondary, doesn't start out that way. So, you know, if you're just starting to sponsor and you're like, oh, this is hard, this is inconvenient. It's okay, keep doing it anyway and pray for God to change your heart. And then it talked about what they did. They shared their homes their slender resources and gladly devoted their spare hours to fellow sufferers. So do I do that? Do we do that? Am I willing to share my home, um, my resources, my spare time, right? That's what they did. So if I want what they had, I have to do what they did. And it says a year and six months later, three of them had succeeded with seven more I was gonna do the math. So 18 months and seven, 18, hold on, 18 months and seven people. So 18 divided by seven is, so they got like, it was like two and a half months to get someone sober. So for three people, that's not like really good odds, Um, but it doesn't matter. We're not responsible for the numbers. We're only responsible for our obedience to God. And it said, barely an evening passed where they weren't c- happy in their release, hanging out together, constantly thinking how they might help newcomers. And page 160, they said, and they made sure to set aside one night a week where new people might bring their problems. Like healthy meetings um, are solution oriented. And that's why we always like to have a Q&A at the end. So if someone is struggling, they can get some help. Um, They say, okay, they got together. And one of the things they would talk about is if there was a wife there whose husband was an alcoholic, they talk about how he might be hospitalized and approached when next he stumbled. So they actually planned on what to do for the person who might drink again. They didn't say, yeah, wife, if your husband stumbles, we're, we're done. No, it's like, how can we help them? How can we help? How can we reach out? What creative approach can we use? They dealt with hard cases and they didn't write people off. And they say, why'd people get better? Bottom of page 160, a practical approach to the problems, right? We do step one, then we do step two. It's very practical. The absence of intolerance, like it doesn't matter your race, your religion, what you believe, what you don't believe, Um, informality, democracy, understanding. It says this is irresistible. So that's how to make a meeting irresistible, to have those kind of things. Um, And they said people would leave there thinking, okay, what can I do to help others? And listen to these beautiful words on page 161. They had seen miracles and one was to come to them. They had visioned the great reality, capital G, capital R, their loving and all powerful creator. I mean, getting to see God in action, and in some cases, getting to see God. And I have a note in the margins. This was a quote from Herb Kay. When we see the great reality, the mosquitoes of life don't bother us so much. If I know God exists and God's got my back and God's going to take care of me, do I really care if someone beat me out for a parking space? No. And so they tell us, um, if we live this way of life, people will be attracted. It's inevitable. And they say, no one is too discredited or is sunk too low to be welcomed if he means business, so that's the condition. Now, someone doesn't mean business, they're certainly welcome to meetings, but they're not entitled to, sp- to be sponsored, right? We know the requirements to be sponsored if you want what we have, a spiritual experience based on the steps, and are willing to go to any lengths to get it. Then we mean business, and then we can start working the steps. And it says being wrecked in the same vessel being restored and united under one God, with hearts and minds attuned to the welfare of others. So that's my job, to attune my my heart and my mind to the welfare of others. And then look how God changes my values. Then the things which matter so much to some people no longer signify much. How could they? right? How could they? If we're involved in helping people and being part of God's search and rescue missions for others, we're not going to care about some of the littler things in life. And page 162, they talk about feeling the presence and power of God. And they go on to say, okay, sometimes we travel and when we do, we drop in as often as we can at other meetings. You know, when we go to other places, we go to other meetings that aren't in our hometown. And it says, this, this does two things. It enables us to lend a hand, to be helpful, which is always good, and to avoid certain alluring distractions of the road. I would say um, for people like us, one of the most dangerous times is vacation you know, when we're out of our typical surroundings is vacation. So we go to meetings in other places. And it says, we're we're growing, like AA is growing. And so can you, this book will help you. And page 163, they're saying, well, we know what you're thinking. You're saying to yourself, I'm jittery and alone. I can't do that. And they're saying, but you can. If you're working this program, you have tapped a source of power much greater than yourself, like an oil well. We have tapped into the power and the grace of God. And it says to duplicate with such backing what we've accomplished, right? Helping people is a matter of willingness, right? Being willing to do it. Patience, because we're not going to change overnight. And God may not grant us our prayer to have a fellowship in our town overnight. We have to be patient and labor. It's work, right? We have to do the work. And so so let's see, page 164, they talk about discovering the joy of helping others. And they say, okay, but I will not have the benefit of contact with you who write this book. And they say, "Eh, don't be so sure. God will determine that. So you must remember your real reliance is always on him. Always, always God first. And then a promise. He will show you how to create the fellowship you crave. So that craving for a fellowship is something inside us that that's God-given and good. And God will help us with that. And they say, we know only a little the writers of this book i would disagree i would say they know quite a lot and they say god will constantly disclose more to you and to us and then they tell us what to do in our morning meditation some things are optional but here's something they tell us it's a good reminder ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick so when we're praying and meditating God, what would you have me do for the still suffering compulsive eater? And it says, the right answers, the answers will come if, so that means it's a conditional promise, if your own house is in order. If I'm living a dishonest life and I owe resentment, I owe amends and I'm carrying resentment, I can't expect to hear any answers. And then it says, obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. I love that word transmission. Like when you think of transmission, you think of energy, right? Like, or a telephone transmitting sound waves. We're not just giving information. We are transmitting, you know, hopefully we are transmitting God's love to another still suffering person. You know, that's what this is about transmission. It says you can't transmit what you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with God is right. So that's the condition. And here's the promise. And great events will come to pass for you and countless others. Reminds me of my second favorite line in the big book. The thing, when we look back, we realize that the things which came to us when we put ourselves in God's hands are better than anything we could have planned. So this is, this is a, get your relationship with God right and great events better than anything you could have planned will come to pass. And they say, this is a great fact for us. So abandon yourself to God as you understand God. What does that mean? Give God a blank check. God, here's my life. Do what you want. Make me healthy. Make me sick. Make it. I mean, we don't pray to make me sick, but it's like God whatever you want. You have my life. You have my health. You have my marriage. You have my career. You have my kids. You have all of it. Give God a blank check. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Admitting them to God isn't that hard. Admitting them to our fellows, that's hard. But that's how we grow in humility, which is the opposite of pride. And pride is something that blocks us from God. Clear away the wreckage of your past, right? We make our amends. We give freely of what we've been given. And then they say, we shall be with you in the fellowship of the spirit. And you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. They say, may God bless you and keep you until then. Like, and I think until when, right? And I think, you know, they talked about being rescued from sh- you know shipwreck and a-, a sinking ship. And it made me think of the Titanic. And this makes me think of like, Remember the very end of the Titanic where all the people who are on that ship are like, you know, reunited in heaven or something. And it's like a beautiful ending scene. And maybe that's the future that we have, but we may not have, you know, who knows if that's what our heaven is, but it certainly is our here on earth when we meet this, when we work this program and we get the fellowship we crave We get a relationship with God and we get the removal of the food obsession. That is quite a vision for all of us. And with that, I pass. Thanks.